You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. It is known as probably the most exclusive club in the entire world. It is called the Rich Man's International Millionaire's Club. It's based out of Hong Kong. And if you're blessed to be awarded a membership in this elite organization for a paltry 15.2 million, you're given VIP treatment. Admission to the most exclusive yacht clubs, jockey clubs, country clubs, golf clubs, ski resorts, hotels, and restaurants around the world. You also automatically just get a $1 million line of credit. It's exclusive. There are only 100 platinum memberships available at any one given time. Now, back in the day of Jesus, there was also a very, very exclusive club, and it was known as the Pharisees. And it was a really big deal if you were counted a member of this group. It was really an honor if you were ever invited to dine in the home of a Pharisee. So this morning, we're going to look at a dinner party that a Pharisee threw for Jesus And what the Pharisee didn't plan on was that this party became one of the greatest and clearest expressions and pictures of grace. There the grace of God became something that drew a person to Jesus as it often does. And it was that grace that she experienced that made Jesus so magnetic, so winsome, so amazing to so many people. We began a series last week we're calling Balanced, and it's based on the fact that John, a disciple of Jesus, as a matter of fact, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, really encountered and really understood that Jesus was a person who was full of and balanced by both grace and truth. As a matter of fact, John says in his gospel, chapter four, verse 14, and he said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, Jesus, God in human flesh, filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that one of the ways that manifested itself in his life was Jesus was someone who was full of and balanced with grace and truth. And Jesus models for you and me what that looks like to be filled with and to be balanced by grace and truth because that same Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus to be filled and balanced with grace and truth, that same Holy Spirit resides, dwells in you and me. And because of that, and because of our relationship to Jesus, we also can be filled with and balanced by both grace and truth. Unfortunately, as I talked about last week, there are some churches, Christians, um, that are an imbalance of grace and truth. But I want our church, I want to be balanced. I want to be filled with grace and truth. I trust you want that as well because folks, it starts with us. This morning, we're going to talk about this Jesus who was full of grace. 
You may find this kind of hard to believe, but do you know that Jesus never, ever spoke or used the word grace? He never used that word, ever. He oozed grace. He was filled with grace, but he never used the word grace. As a matter of fact, the word grace only appears four times in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Jesus never used that word once. By the way, something else Jesus never said to an individual was, I love you. Now, Jesus loves us. Jesus was full of love. He was the greatest expression of God's love, but he never said those words, but he always showed those words. The greatest expression of God's love for us was when Jesus hung upon the cross, and as he hung there, it was as if he was giving the whole world this great big hug and saying to you and I, as he died for our sins upon the cross, I love you but he never spoke those words. But he was full of grace. And he revealed that grace many, many times in many different forms, in many different expressions, in many different places. And this morning, we're gonna look at one of those places where the grace of God took center stage because it was at a party. Luke 7, if you've got your Bibles, Beginning in verse 36, when one of the Pharisees, and that was Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So Simon, one of these leading Pharisees, has invited Jesus to be a guest in his home for dinner, and Jesus goes and shares a meal with him. Now, as you read through the story there to the end of chapter 7, you kind of understand that it's not just Jesus and Simon. There are other Pharisees there, other, you know, religious leaders uh, that, are, uh, that are there uh, as well. And I'm sure that Simon had motives and agenda. I think he had reasons for inviting Jesus to be there. Whatever planned events were scheduled to take place, things took a very unexpected turn and grace took center stage. What you're about to read and hear in this story is going to show you a Jesus full of grace. And why, when that grace is expressed, it's so truly amazing and life-changing. I believe the grace that we're going to see in this story of Jesus really has the power to teach us at least three things this morning. First, grace receives us in our sin. Grace meets us. Grace embraces us. Grace reaches out to us while we are mired in our sin. No matter how broken, no matter how messed up, no matter how lost you are, grace receives you and me in our sin. The party at Simon's house, it's going well. Everyone seems to be having a good time. Jesus is relaxed there at the table, reclining on the floor, eating, which is the way people did things back in that day. And all of a sudden, without warning, there is a hush that falls over the room. Every eye turns, every jaw drops as they see an unwanted, unwelcomed, uninvited party crasher. 
enters the room. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar filled with perfume. As she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now just get this picture in your mind. Here is a room full of religious leaders, prestigious religious leaders, church goers. I mean, they are the who's who of the self-righteous and they're all gathered together there to be with Jesus and in comes a woman, but not just any woman, but a woman who probably did not deserve to be called a woman. Verse 37 says she was a sinner. She lived a sinful life. More pointedly, she was a streetwalker, a prostitute, a hooker, kind of what Callie was referring to there. In every way imaginable, this woman, she kind of came from the wrong side of town. She was, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks. She was the lowest of the low, socially, morally, ethically, spiritually. And I don't think she could have gotten any lower as a prostitute. As a matter of fact, the three worst occupations among the Jews of this day was to be a tax collector, a shepherd, or a prostitute. Now, she may have been corrupt. She may have been immoral. She may have been carnal, but man, you got to hand it to her. She was not a coward. She had to know whose house she was walking into. She had to know she was walking into the proverbial lion's den, and she is walking into a group of people who are 180 degrees diametrically opposed and different than her, but she has made up her mind nothing and no one is going to stop her from getting to Jesus. Pretty bold. Everything she's been taught, everything that's been reinforced to her over and over through her culture, the way she would have been treated throughout her life, everything would have told her, you are not welcome here much less in the presence of a holy man, a prophet, a teacher like Jesus. Nobody had to tell her who she was. She knew what she was. But there is an obvious assumption that at some point, somewhere, she encountered Jesus and saw something that was very different from her that she had never seen in any other religious leader. I don't know if she heard him taught. I don't know if she saw him do miracles. I don't know what it was, but I'm just left with the impression she saw something somewhere in an encounter with Jesus and it drew her to him. Though everything and everyone in that room was screaming out loud, you are not wanted here, you are not welcome here, Jesus must have had a very welcoming smile on his face as she walked in to that room. Jesus did not look at her with disgust. He did not look at her with lust. He looked at her with love. 
What was on his mind was not her guilt, but his grace. What is on the mind of God concerning you this morning is not your guilt, it's his grace. What God is consumed by this morning is not your sin. What he is consumed with is his grace, it is his goodness that leads you, that brings you to repentance. Now what happens next is even more shocking. It says she just begins to weep uncontrollably. And there is just this river of tears that just begin to fall over Jesus. And she undoes her hair and she begins to wash his feet with her hair. Then it says she begins to kiss his feet. And then she just begins to anoint and pour over this very expensive perfume on his feet. Can you say awkward? You see, in those days, women always wore their hair up in public for a woman to let her hair down in front of a man that was not her husband. It was considered to be a very intimate expression of sexual temptation. It was grounds for divorce. And as you know, in in parts of the Middle East today, that is still true. And then this prostitute dares to touch Jesus, to kiss his feet. The cultural standards of that day would have demanded, expected Jesus to be embarrassed, to recoil, to give this woman a lecture on her behavior for even dare touching him. But her act of love, of devotion, is met with his act of grace. By now, as Simon's watching all of this unfold, he has had more than he can take. In verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. As we're going to discover, Jesus was very well aware of who this woman was, what she was. What is tragic and sad is Simon didn't realize the real problem here. The problem was not that she was a sinner and Jesus didn't know it, The problem was that this Pharisee was a sinner and he didn't know it. She knew what she was. He didn't know what he was. Why do you think sin disqualifies us from the grace of God? Why do we think that? Why do we think sin disqualifies us from receiving the grace of God. Can I let you in on a little secret here this morning? Sin is the only thing that qualifies us to receive the grace of God. Sin is the only thing that qualifies us to receive the grace of God. You don't give up your sins and then receive the grace of God. You don't say, 
God, I've, got, I've gone this whole week and I've not sinned at all and therefore I am now worthy of receiving your grace. No, no, no. You don't stop sinning and then receive God's grace. You receive God's grace and then that gives you the power to give up your sin. Grace meets us. Grace receives us. Grace embraces us in our sin. Second thing, grace rescues us from our sin. Jesus tells a story. We'll get back to that in just a second here. But Jesus gives this scathing indictment to Simon, beginning in verse 44. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Let that sink into your heart. Whoever loves little has been forgiven little. To fully understand how Simon was pretty much just called out into the open. You have to go back again and understand the culture of that day. In the Middle East in that day, hospitality was a huge deal. As a matter of fact, they knew what Southern hospitality was before there was even a South here. Right, Karen? There is tension in this room, not because of what just happened, but because of what did not happen. When Jesus entered the house, all of the traditional courtesies and hospitality that any guest would expect were absent. Nowhere to be found. All of the customary greeting for an honored guest would have been a kiss on one or both cheeks. To refuse to kiss someone was in effect ignoring them. And then the guests, they would kind of be seated on stools around a, a U-shaped couch. And before the meal was ever eaten, the, the, the hands and the feet of the guests would be washed with a mixture of water and oil. And to honor your guests, you would wash their feet and hands. And if you didn't, you would have had a servant there to do it. It had to be done before you ate a meal or you would be deemed to be unclean. By this point in the story, there has been no washing of Jesus's feet or hands. There's been no kissing of his face. He has actually been treated rudely and had every right to have gotten angry, gotten up, and walked out of the door. Again, here is the irony. Even though they showed Jesus no grace, Jesus showed them nothing but grace. Now go back to this woman. When she began crying, she was crying, I believe, for two reasons. 
On the one hand, she realized fully she was a sinner and she was not even worthy to be in the presence of Jesus, much less washing his feet. On the other hand, she realized everybody else in that room wasn't worthy to be in his presence either. And she saw how Jesus had been humiliated, how he had been treated and rejected. I believe this woman was crying first out of gladness for the way Jesus accepted and embraced and received her, but also out of sadness for the way they had retreat, the way they had treated and rejected him. Jesus did something else that is really shocking when you think about it. I don't want you to miss the irony of what is going on here. Remember Simon, he's a Pharisee. He is a biblical scholar. I mean, he has spent his whole life studying, pouring over scriptures. By the time he was 12 years old, he would have memorized the first 12 books of the Old Testament. By the time he was 15, he would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. He had memorized in that more than 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah that God promised was going to come, and yet he does not realize, recognize, understand the very one who is sitting at his table is the one that God promised would come. The one who should have recognized Jesus didn't, and the one who shouldn't have recognized Jesus did. Do you know the difference? Simon wanted to put Jesus in his place. This woman just wanted to receive his grace. Then Jesus says these stinging words to Simon in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, though her many sins have been forgiven, as great her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. This woman did not wash Jesus' feet, nor did she kiss his feet, hoping to receive forgiveness. She did it because she had been forgiven. Big difference. She didn't know the word grace, but oh boy, did she ever experience grace in a powerful way in that moment. Then the mic drop occurs with Jesus' next words, verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. A simple little phrase. A sentence of four words. But man, to this woman in her situation, They were an eternal life changer. Words a lowly street walking prostitute thought she would never hear, but she heard it from the only one who could say it and mean it. And that's what grace does. It doesn't just receive us and meet us in our sin, but it rescues us from our sin. Whenever you hear those words, your sins are forgiven, that is grace talking. Third, grace releases us from our sin. Let's go back to that little parable Jesus told, which is really uh, is not only a key to this story, but Simon doesn't even know what hit him. I mean, a Mack truck has just run over this guy, and he doesn't realize it. But it allowed Jesus an opportunity to reveal something that Simon needed to see. And Jesus answered and said to him, I have something to tell you. 
Simon says, tell me, teacher. So Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Now, again, the story is very, very simple. There's two men who owed a debt. One man's debt was 10 times bigger than the other man's debt. But the truth of the story is, is that neither of those debts were ever going to be able to be paid off in 10 lifetimes. And what Jesus was saying to Simon, and he's also saying to you and me, there may be people out there that are 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 fold the sinner that you are. We may think we are 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 fold better than other people. But the truth is, and what Jesus said to Simon, what Simon needed to hear is what we need to hear this morning is not only are we all sinners, but we are all equally spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. Every one of us in this room, your debt may look different than my debt, but every one of us in this room, we have a debt that is so big. It is so enormous. It could never, ever be paid off in a hundred lifetimes. Whether you are the pope or a prostitute, whether you are a pastor or a pedophile, the president or a peasant, when it comes to sin, we are all in the same boat. We are all spiritually equally bankrupt. This prostitute could see her sin. Simon couldn't see his. Any time you ever see someone else's sin more clearly than you see your own, you are headed for trouble. Anytime you see someone else's sin more clearly than you see your own, you're headed the wrong direction, you're moving away from God. In the mirror, this woman saw how bad she was. When Simon looked in the mirror, all he could see was how good he was. Randy Elkhorn said it best. He said, the worst thing we can teach people is that they're good without Jesus. Fact is, God doesn't offer grace to good people any more than doctors offer life-saving surgery to healthy people. Never believe anything about yourself or God that makes his grace to you seem anything less than amazing because that is exactly what it is. See, it's one thing to think you don't deserve grace, which you do, but it's a whole different thing to say you don't need grace which you do. It's one thing to say, I don't deserve grace. You do. But it's another thing to say, I don't need it because we do. Two people at this party could not have been more different Everyone looked up to Simon. Everyone looked down to her. He was a respected church leader. She was a scorned streetwalker. He made a living teaching the law. She made a living breaking the law. He was respected. She was rejected. But they were both just sinners who were equally lost, equally bankrupt, equally in need of grace. 
it is only when you see your goodness is worthless that you will see God's grace as priceless. It's only when you will look at your goodness and see that it is worthless that you'll ever begin to look at the grace of God as priceless. You will never see how great a Savior Jesus is until you see how great, how lost a sinner you are. So what do we do with this? Well, let me give you a couple of next steps. Let me encourage you to take a moment, and I just want you to start seeing a few things differently, three ways specifically. First, see yourself the way you really are. Best thing some of you can do this morning is look at yourself the way you really are. You're just like everybody else. You are a sinner in need of grace. Look around this room this morning. You are looking at people who are just as big of a sinner as you are, people who are just as broken as you are, people who are in need of God's grace just as much as you are. See yourself the way you really are. Second, see others the way they are. No worse, no better than you, just sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. Third, see Jesus the way he is and always will be full of and balanced by grace and truth. Listen to how the story concludes in verse 49. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's how the story ended for her. It's how the story can end for us this morning. If we'll see ourselves as we truly are, see one another as they are, and see Jesus as he is, we can hear those words, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. You may not have come in in peace. This woman didn't. But I'll guarantee you she went out in peace. Let's stand this morning. Father, we just again thank you for your power, your presence in this place. And Lord, there may be people here this morning that are like Simon. And God, they are so much more aware of and in tune and understand and see the sin of other people. And in that, it has so blinded them to the sin, to their, their desperate need of grace, of forgiveness, of peace. So God, this morning, I just ask God that you would just begin that unveiling, that revealing of our hearts that we can truly see ourselves as we really are. Broken, desperate people, sinners in need of the redemptive, restorative power of God's grace. Second, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of, again, the way that we see others around us, that, Lord, we see people no better, no worse than us. It doesn't matter what they've done. Every one of us in this room, we stand spiritually bankrupt, nothing to offer you, but you have everything to offer us, and your grace is an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. So God, I pray, Lord, you'll open the eyes of our heart, God, that we'll begin to see others the way that they are. And finally, would you just open the eyes of our heart that we can see you the way you really are. You are amazing. 
You are indescribable. Your love knows no boundaries. Your grace has no end. Your mercies are new every day and we can never exhaust any of that. So open the eyes of our heart this morning. God, begin to lead us, begin to shepherd us in ways that we can begin to walk in the fullness and the balance of grace and truth as Jesus did because we know that spirit in him that allowed and empowered him to do that lives in us too as born-again, spirit-filled believers. And God, we want to walk that out. We want to live that the way Jesus lived it. And we know that that is only possible through you. And so God, we come and we appeal to your grace. We appeal to your mercy, your kindness, and your goodness. Wash over us this morning. We just thank you for your power, your presence here in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. You are listening to the the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.